0: Welcome to Getting Curious, I'm Jonathan Van and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by botanist and research leader at the Royal Botanic Gardens Q, Dr. Alex Monroe, where I ask him, how do you plants get their freak on? Welcome to Getting Curious, this is Jonathan Van we are with Dr. Alex Monroe, who is a botanist at the Royal Botanic Gardens. So, picture it. We're kind of, we're in London, right?
1: Yeah, on the edge of London.
0: On the edge of London. Yeah. And we're at Kew Gardens, which
1: is? It's the world's biggest botanical gardens and botanical research institute. So, it combines an actual park-like landscape with amazing collections of living plants. And then a giant collection of dried herbarium plants which which for example that i study on
0: i think i just saw a tree that was from 1775
1: yeah yeah you would have yeah so that there's... is way old. that's like
0: that was like the boston tea party in the battle of bunker hill not to bring up a sore subject mm. in the united <laughs> kingdom you know but i think that was like the same year yeah
1: yeah probably yeah
0: like wow mm. that's old yeah. Kew Gardens has really been like a living, breathing museum for plants where where people can come view them. You can see these big, beautiful glass houses that have like palm trees. And I also saw this like one glass house place that looks it like mimics like high altitude. Oh, yeah, things. yeah.
1: The palm, the alpine house. What's amazing. the deal
0: with that? How do you know why? Why does it mimic a shape? high altitude? Yeah,
1: because they have to generate cold air in the summer because it's kind of too hot in the summer for it to be alpine. And in the spring, they like to kind of get some of the early warmth that they can kind of, um, so that they can have the plants flowering. So it's a really nice greenhouse because they bring plants in when they come into flower. So it's always full of flowering things.
0: Ah, interest. Yeah. Love that. So um, when, okay, so now, and then there's also the seed bank. Yeah. Which that is like, so this is like a 300 acre, like big rolling, like hilly, lakey, like, uh, Space, But then the Seed Bank is, like, not like
1: that. No, the Seed Bank is a vault for storing seed. And it's one of the probably only places in the world where you have, uh, I think it's 10 or 20% of the world's diversity of of plants but stored. It's like, it's it's it, like it, an ark.
0: Did you ever see Panic Room with Jodie Foster in the early 2000s? And um, no. and Kristen, or not Kristen, does, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. Uh, it's a classic. It reminds me of Panic Room, but for uh plant seeds mm. basically so what's the importance of a seed bank like what is it like, so so basically she's like a vault with a ton of seeds
1: yeah but it gives so imagine the seeds each seed is a potential plant so when it's planted out you can you can then so that seed is protected and saved and conserved and the habitats may be being destroyed by logging or farming or whatever and then in the future time if you want to restore or rescue those species if they've become incredibly rare which a lot of them are. You, you could take that seed, germinate it, and then plant it back where it came from.
0: Are any seeds the seed bank, ex- like, are the plants extinct? Or any of them?
1: Yeah. yeah really? Yeah, yeah, you should go. Ah! Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. So, okay, so that's... Now, I mean, extinct in the wild, obviously. Yeah. in the seed bank, but yeah. Ah! That's really incredible yeah, when yeah. you think about it. Do you know... Well,
0: not to, like, pull out a seed bank question, because I know that's, like, not your main thing, but do we know when it was built...
1: The Seed Bank? Yeah.
0: Like, how long has it been there?
1: 2000. So it's the Millennium Seed Bank because it was built to celebrate the, the Millennium.
0: Now Millennium is all in context in yeah, the title yeah, of the
1: Millennium yeah, Seed
0: Bank. Yeah. Got it. And that's a part of Kew Gardens. Okay, everything's coming into focus for me. <laughs> so now, uh, you, Dr. Monroe. So, like, you were just minding your own business in the United Kingdom when you were little and you realized you wanted to be a scientist?
1: I never really wanted to be a scientist. I think I really wanted to explore and go into forests. I loved being in forests and I was obsessed with uh, wildlife or nature, insects in particular, actually. (coughs) Insects? Yeah, I loved insects. When I was three, I used to go out into the garden with a plastic bag on my hand and catch bumblebees and keep them in jam jars, which I think is probably cruel but
0: you know we <laughs> actually did an episode on getting curious called how can we be less rude to bees yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, Sorry.
1: No. i was very rude to bees
0: well it's okay you were curious you know you were getting curious when you were really yeah. little so how did your life lead you to being because your title because we love a title yeah. we lo- and you got several you're a doctor you're a mm. botanist and yeah. you're also aren't you like another ist like isn't there like a like ta- like tax? Are you not like-
1: taxonomist? Yeah, yeah, I am. Aren't you I, that too? Yeah, I am a taxonomist. As How dare well. you
0: give me that questioning look in your face, like
1: I was like getting your credentials wrong? No, because you, t- you terrified was, me. I was worried what were you were going to say. No, I was just saying all the things that end in ist, like bigamist or whatever. Oh no That's no no, not like a... no.
0: I meant like, no, like no. Well, and you're when you're a doctor, I feel like usually it's kind of fierce, you know, yeah. biologist or like yeah. a.
1: So what's a taxonomist? Taxonomist is a classifier of things. So we kind of we say what they are, we identify them, but we also describe and identify new things. So if you think you've got a new species, we're the ones who say we think, yeah, this is new, and then we describe it. Um, my friend really likes to name
0: plants a lot. Well, like cause they're a landscape yeah, architect. Yeah, 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 so like fatsia japonica or something. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal? That's like something from Japan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So, Japonica means Japan, like there's some relationship to Japan. Yeah, so if we're hearing, is, is it Juniper from Japan? Juniper sounds a little bit Japanish, no, it's Juniper, it's not oh, japonica, not Japan- No, why am I so basic? It sounds the same to me. Yeah, no, no so like we tend to have that there's two parts to the name it's a binomial, genus, and species. Genus right? and species. So the genus is like the group of things which we say are more related to each other than to all the other things, so that's the genus.
0: Wait, why is it more related to it than other things?
1: Because for evolution, obviously, like everything is, so we're all related to each other and all living organisms are related to each other. But obviously, we're more related to each other than we are to grass. Eh? That's
0: cute yeah. and fun to think about that we're all kind of related.
1: Yeah, we are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How, major, tell me more about that.
1: that. Well, that's evolution. That's the major assumption behind evolution, which is that things speciate. So you have one species and then it splits into two species. And that's mm. the process. Got it. Uh, yeah.
0: So, a taxonomist—you had to learn all about, like, all about, like, the the titles and all the things. And but it, yours is more about like discovering new things.
1: Yeah, that's my. Main but I jumped interest. around too much because really I want to know how you became one. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so how did it become one? Well, actually, I wanted to be an entomologist as a kid to study insects. And then when I went to university, I thought it's a really bad idea to study your favorite subject. So I studied Why? biology because I was an idiot and I just thought I was being clever, but I wasn't. Um,
0: Are you sad now? Do you, do you want to study insects? I have,
1: no, I don't. But I have moments when I think, why did I do that? Well, honey,
0: it's never too late. You can go back and become <laughs> it an is entomologist. Nice. It's not. <laughs> yes, it is You're a cool. literal baby. <laughs> I don't think so. If you, want, if you felt like it, you could. I'm a very, very old baby. I think it'd be really fun if you, like, all of a sudden, like, threw all of academia on its heels and were like, nope. Yeah. Dr. Monroe is going to go back and become an
1: etymologist now. But anyway, I did. Uh, and I had this love for forests. So that was kind of what drove me, really. So I did a degree in biology. And through that, I did uh, an expedition to the Bolivian Amazon, which was amazing. We spent two months camping in the Amazon. And, and I just it, it cemented the fact that I wanted to work in tropical forests. What was going on in the Bolivian Amazon forest then? So we were collecting trees. We were doing it was a really remote, unexplored area. And it was very rich in primates. I think it's still the richest place in the world for primates with like 12 or 13 species of monkey oh. in, a, in a kind of forest. Where's Bolivia in relationship to Brazil? Is so it in central or south? It's kind of next to Brazil. It's north northwest.
0: So it's in South America, but it's like on the upper part of it?
1: Yeah, Brazil. Yeah. yeah so the Amazon sort of extends across into Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia. Interesting. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So you were there for two years, like in your early
0: twenties, like when no were... two
1: months. We camped for two oh, months. We months. We were students. Season. We were like, I think I was nineteen or twenty. Ah, I just love that. Just a bunch that. of us. Yeah, it was totally nuts. Really.
0: What was go- like? Were you aware of like? Did you have to like take any certain precautions like when you all went there or like had to be careful of like?
1: I guess we should have. We were like, we we're just students, and we were, it was really exciting. Trees. And we we're collecting, climbing up trees, you know, kind of sixty foot trees or higher. Love that! Yeah, no, yeah, and, and yeah, and it was just a, a really, it, it just it was such an amazing place.
0: So, first, your undergrad was in biology.
1: Yeah. So, through it- this expedition, I kind of got a segue into looking at forests and tropical tropical ecology. I started a PhD on that where I was based in Manaus for a couple of years. So, in Where's Amazon, in the capital of the of Brazilian state of Amazonas. Mm. And then I got really sick, and then I had to drop out of that, and then I came back to the UK. I spent quite a lot of time sick, and then I got a job at the Natural History Museum as a botanist, um, and then it sort of just went on from that. Wow! Yeah. So then, when did you start at Kew Gardens? I started at Kew Gardens about five years ago. Not to
0: give you like a full like a full, yeah, so I spent twenty, 20 years. At the, I spent twenty
1: <laughs> years at the museum as a botanist, and then I came here after 20 years and I've been here for five years so that tells you that I'm not a baby because
0: a botanist is I know but you look amazing <laughs> here. I mean so um but so a botanist is somebody who studies plants so you study plants and then you also like studied like the classification of them
1: yeah so that's the, tax- the taxonomy but botany is like I think everything that's studying plants and then we study so my group taxonomists say we study the classification description of plants and we do exploration do inventories of plants as well so, and also, like, isn't traveling still a big part of your job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, so every, every probably five or six months, I go away and go exploring. So, so for the
0: last five years,
1: no, I've been doing that for for twenty five years. Oh,
0: well. Yeah. So even when you're at the museum, you're still like traveling and doing that. Fine. So you went from the Natural History Museum to the to, to Kew yeah. Fine. Yeah. So you've always been like a scientist who's based in London. Like, well, except yeah. when you're.
1: <clears throat> I have. I'm. I'm <clears throat> it's probably a bit of a contradiction. I love forests. I love the wilderness. <clears throat> but I was born in London and grew up in London. And will probably die in London. Ah, I'm also a Londoner. I love that. Yeah, it's, but it's unusual because it's not you couldn't, you know, it's not obvious.
0: But it seems like at Kew Gardens, there's like a very large, like scientific community that's all very much like you know, dedicated to like all things plants.
1: Totally. So it's about 300 scientists, I think, across the two sites, and everyone is totally dedicated and fascinated and obsessed with with, with what they do. How does how does that community interface
0: with like a daily interaction or like an outlook on like sustainability, climate change? Like how does cute <coughs> Gardens or how does anyone and like any tips on how like on how scientists are trying to be like, like, what do you do so we can all do it?
1: Well, I'm not sure we're better than anyone else, but we're certainly really aware of it. And it's something that we talk about a lot, you know, in just socially, but also something we try and weave into our work so that what we're doing is helping address climate change. So we do a lot of conservation assessments. So we look at um, species and their current distributions and how they'll be affected by changing climates. For example, with coffee Mm -hmm. um, has been, we've done a lot of work on that. And will the you know, where will the, will the white populations go? Will they be wiped out or do they have habitat that they can move into?
0: Is that Um, because we're wiping out like parts of forest to grow coffee beans or?
1: No, no, sorry. So like we're looking, so because coffee grows in mountainous areas in, in Ethiopia, and as the climate changes, um, the sites where they grow become too dry, and obviously they have to have to move up because it gets warmer. And so, where can they move to? If they're at the top of a mountain, that's it. They've got nowhere to go. And, that's and that a affects like, for the local economies. Yeah. And yeah, so that's a kind of really practical example. But we but we kind of look at that for many different plants, which maybe you know maybe they don't have any known uses, but they're still really important parts of our kind of global ecosystem so when you would go out exploring or like
0: when you currently go out exploring like what like have you been to like all the continents <laughs> or like
1: six well i've been to i've been to latin america so the both i've been to australia i've not been to africa i've been to south africa on holiday but that doesn't count uh-huh, uh-huh. you been, have been Asia, exploring the I've, plans yeah yeah but i've done a lot of work in china for example in southwest china in the limestone plateaus oh you have yeah What was the deal with the plants over there? Oh, it's amazing. So they have this incredible ancient karst landscape, which is limestone that's been weathered by tropical rains for kind of, I don't know, 50, 60, 100 million years. And it was incredible, like shaped rocks and really spiky. And it's quite difficult for plants to survive on because it's really dry and then really wet and really hot and then cold. And so I've been working on um, the nettle family, which is actually my personal speciality.
0: So, I don't know if you all knew that, but we just took a really quick break because our literal scientist had a literal phone call, which I love, like, how real we are. We can't help it that we're just doing, like, real podcasts Mm -hmm. in the real world. So, because a lot of times I'm in a studio, but right now we're in your office, which I think is, like, interest. So, you... Welcome back to Getting Curious. We have Dr. Alex Monroe. So you, when you would go exploring, like, and you've been to, well, we were talking about China. Yeah. Because it's hot and it's cold and the limestone.
1: And for some reason, nettles are really attracted to limestone and especially weathered limestone. Now, what's nettle? Because I feel like nettle teas. Yeah, it's a a group of about 2,000 species of plants in about 50 odd genera. So there's everything from small herbs to kind of big trees. Really? Yeah. And they have, I don't know what to say, what are they? They've got kind of, normally the leaves are sort of toothed, like the nettle. Yeah. And they have really small, inconspicuous green flowers. And they're kind of the most boring group of plants that are known to man, I think, apart from to myself. But so, what's, what's the most interesting thing about nettles? The most interesting thing about nettles? I think it's the fact that... that <laughs> now you've got me now. For me, the most interesting thing is the fact that they have incredible female flowers, so the actual female, they're tiny, but they're incredibly intricate and beautiful, and they look really specialised. But the whole group, all the all the whole family, is wind pollinated, and so I don't understand why they have such specialised flowers. Oh, because they don't really did all. Because they're just like passively kind of accepting pollen that's flying in the air so they should all look the same in my book but they don't and so i think that's kind of interesting
0: okay well i'm really glad that you brought up plant sex and not me because i did want to specifically ask about how do plants reproduce how do they do it how do Mm. they like what are the different types so how many different types of because isn't pollination essentially
1: plant sex or no plant sex god plants is just so different plastic and different you know i mean they just like totally non-binary in that sense that
0: have, have,
1: you know to put it in a
0: <laughs> why because they don't well because well because you now know you're saying wait did we get on tape how you were saying that like we're all recording yeah yeah yeah, yeah, th- yeah. i've been we're sitting here this whole time so because you know how like you were saying like they were all related right yeah so yesterday when i was thinking about this episode i was like i was like i wonder like because i was thinking about questions and i was like it's like for plants like what is like a plant's daily life in terms of like if they were human like mm. how do they you know have babies how do they reproduce mm. like what would their like little environment be like mm. you know how do they learn how do they decide to do stuff because like so sex feels like the first thing that mm. popped up to my mind you know i can't help but like chemicals i can't i'm a person oh. and i'm
1: still well, but, it's a big part of their lives yeah they invest a massive amount in sex plants do yeah god a tremendous amount yeah
0: they invest tremendous
1: amounts in sex yeah yeah. i love that sentence if you look at if you look at an oak tree at the moment it's covered in like thousands or hundreds of thousands or more flowers and when it has fruits imagine how many kind of babies yeah how many seeds it produces so yeah so how
0: are the what are the different types of pollination like plant reproduction
1: so the pollen is like the the semen of the plant Mm -hmm. and so when there's various ways you so plants don't just reproduce by taking semen and putting it on an egg they reproduce in lots of different ways okay so sometimes they basically bits of them will fall off and that's a form of asexual reproduction sometimes the egg in the flower will just develop unfertilized into a, a healthy seed really yeah yeah love that that's quite common like, well, who does that? So, um, so a lot of nettles do that. So I've been working on a group of nettles that grow in caves in southwest China. <clears throat> and it seems to be that a lot of them are, that's how they reproduce. Can you
0: tell the difference between a nettle that's like reproduced asexually?
1: You can, not by looking at it, though. You have to take some tissue and you have to basically see what's going on. So is that because like, tell me more about that. What is, what's, what's the difference? <laughs> um. Okay, so when they reproduce, um, it's called apomixis, so asexually, you can look at the chromosomes and you can kind of tell.
0: Oh, that there's only one?
1: Well, it's just that there's, yeah, so the shortcut, yeah, kind of, the shortcut to doing that is to kind of measure the, the weight of the nucleus and then you can relate that to the size of the genome and relate that back to the kind of chromosome count. So that's used quite a lot.
0: What about, like, um, I mean, obviously, like, uh, snakes aren't plants, but yeah. you know how, like, sometimes snakes do that? Like, you know, like, snakes yeah, and
1: can... lizards, I think I think geckos can do that.
0: So, is that is that a similar thing? Like, just yeah, like... it's
1: similar, yeah. Yeah, I'd say it's similar, yeah. And then plants can also hybridize, so they do tend to hybridize quite What's freely. That so, what they'll, so, like, um, basically, a, a female of one species will reproduce if a male of another species. Ooh, how is there when any cool plants all? If... There would be if I had, uh, if (laughs) my memory was any better. You never know where you're going to go with an episode of getting curious. You know what I mean? I can see that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But there, yeah, there must be, it's not a rare phenomenon. Um, And birds, some birds do that as well. So it's not kind of unique. But But, then there's also like, isn't there like bees taking the pollen? There's all the different ways that they get the sperm from the, from the male part to the female parts So there's wind, there's bees, there's uh, mammals, um you know there's any there's tons of different things there's tiny little micro insects what's um, an example of like a because isn't there like
0: like what like horses like rub up against something in like north dakota and then they r- like run around maybe, yeah. and <laughs> pollinate <laughs> something
1: yeah exactly yeah so it's pretty um random in a way i mean some plants are really uh, have tailored the way that they do it so they attract a particular species of bird or butterfly
0: okay now that's what i want to know yeah, about. Okay. tell me all about yeah, that
1: yeah so you have lots of a whole group of plants which in, which like to control who takes the pollen. How did they know? I think it's, they, they don't know, obviously. that That's the crazy thing about evolution. You don't have to be smart to evolve. So, you know, bacteria evolve and they're obviously not, you know, to occupy new habitats, but they're obviously not thinking, you know, I've got to do this or something's going to happen. So it's, it's a process of kind of reciprocal process between the two parties. So you have something pollinating something, So you've got something coming in and eating the pollen and then for some reason, the plant will um, change and the flower might get a bit deeper. And so there's less things that can pollinate that plant. But then it turns out because there's less things able to pollinate that that plant, the ones that can become more specialised because they've got something that no one else can get and then they'll pollinate it. And then that's how the relationship can develop. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like those yeah.
0: hummingbirds that have like the long things. Yeah, and then the, the flower tits. gets
1: longer, and then the hummingbird's beak gets longer, they become more and more wedded to each other. So, for the hummingbird, the cool thing is like no one else can get the sugar by having these really right. long flowers. So, you have to have a really long, thin beak, which is basically hummingbirds. So, that's the two sides of the relation, the kind of two motivations for it going on evolutionarily. And then, And then to the plant, it means it's got a guaranteed pollinator who's going to go from that individual of that species to another individual of that species. They're not going to go from, you know, like an oak tree to a, a nice daisy, oh. which is not going to be that useful for the plant because it's pollen is basically going to be wasted. It can be pretty sure that that thing is going to take its pollen and go to another individual of that same species and deliver that pollen to. So that's a way of mm. tying it in. Yes. Question. Yeah.
0: Are, so Does one plant have like the both anatomies? And so, yeah,
1: so it depends. So, so that's the other thing. You know, some plants have got both sexes in the same flower, so they kind of effectively bisexual. Some plants have both sexes, but each sex is in a separate flower, but the separate flowers are on the same individual. Some things have got, um, can some be both? Um, yeah, some things can be both. Some things can change sex through time. There's um, a whole group of trees that, um, when they're small, they might be female, and when they're tall. They become male. Really? Like who? Like with the fig, uh, in the fig family. So, like a a mulberry. I have a mulberry tree in my garden. It starts out female, and then as soon as it got to a certain size, it became male. How do you know? Because the flowers look different. They're totally different. So, the male flowers are kind of look look nothing like the female flowers. And there's a whole group of trees where this has been studied in some detail. Kind of makes sense. So, when the tree is really tall, if it's wind pollinated, that's the time to produce male flowers, so your pollen gets sent long distance on the wind. And when it's small, it doesn't—you know—it's producing the fruits. So maybe the fruits are eaten by birds, or in this case, it would be. So you don't need to be so. Being tall isn't such an advantage.
0: So, and then fruit is. Uh...
1: So the fruit is the way of one of the ways that you deliver. You can deliver the seed. So the seed is like, I guess, the embryo for us, or the. So why did? whole evolution thing she's such a
0: big deal so okay so there's the pollination yeah then there's is that is all of the reproduction like pollination based or is there some other kind in the plant world that's like not pollination
1: well you have the asexual ones where there's no pollination in in mosses for example it's way more complicated in mosses and ferns and i don't really want to explain that because uh, it will time my ferns I, those the time... like green like yeah ferns a totally different strategy they don't do it they kind of do it differently. They do it for different life stages. Interesting. So, so they, yeah.
0: that's like another episode of I getting curious with like a you, with like a fern person. You should definitely
1: talk to a fern person. I can recommend some. Yeah, because
0: they're old as hell, ferns. Right? right? And they have
1: a really cool reproductive system,
0: and it's apparently working.
1: I think so. Yeah, we hope yeah, so. Yeah.
0: So now I want to know about. Well, actually, I think I want to know more about uh, plant reproduction because I'm still a little confused. Yeah.
1: Okay. So trees pollinate everything so everything that's reproducing sexually will be exchanging pollen so it's like us we'll be taking semen and fertilizing an egg like a whole group of plants can also the egg will develop they don't have to receive the pollen so they're basically it's like you're having sex with yourself in right. some ways and then other things actually can pollinate each other so some in some in quite a lot of species the pollen from one flower can fertilize itself If you imagine that? So if you're bisexual, you're basically having sex with yourself and you're producing a fertile offspring. I feel like you're more
0: pansexual if you're having sex with yourself. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Is that right? Because bi just means that you're like, yeah,
0: I feel like bisexual doesn't really apply here because really, like, if you're having sex with yourself, honey, you're getting down with everybody. Because, like, you'll get down with... The other boys, the other girls, you'll get down with yourself. I
1: think they're pan. Oh, okay, okay. Because they're
0: even more than bi. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like update. into
1: everyone. We clearly need to update.
0: I also think so it's just like issues. it's like it's like it's it's difficult to re- like to <laughs> totally compare, but you know, I do love to. It, you know, it's human nature. We yeah. like to compare so we can understand like what is happening. So, because there's trees,
1: there's so the, sex, the sex is unrelated to whether it's a tree. Or no, a I totally get it. But yeah. like, how many
0: different kinds of like. How many, what's before genus?
1: Family. You mean what's above genus? Family? Yeah. Yeah. So how many like families of plants is there? There's about 400,000 species of plants and they're in about 350 families. So there's, and then what's before family or
0: above family?
1: Uh, above family, you've got order. How many orders of plants is there? I have no idea. I'm guessing like about 20 or something, maybe more. Because what are, we're in mammal. Yeah, we're a mammal.
0: And then, how many is there again? <laughs> what, what, how many mammals? No, like, how many, like, categories or, or what I don't think... Is there, like, five or something? Think, or is that, like, really 80s? I'd, do we not I'd, think about yeah, it like that I'd anymore? Yeah, I'd say
1: the really interesting... Yeah, no, I don't really think... So, I guess... For us, what we kind of notice are families and the genera and the species. And then the global amount of species. So there's 400,000 species, which is, you know, a wow. fair and, what-
0: and at the Millennium Seabank, they have like a tenth of those or so in the thingies. I think they've
1: got like 20,000 species. And here there's like Im- like a well, bunch of big
0: buildings, all the pressed ones.
1: We've got over 7 million specimens here in this building. And we must have about 80% of plant diversity. So Just in this in in these buildings? So there must
0: be extinct, dried out oh, plants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. sure. Yeah. For uh sure. yeah. Can't even handle it. Okay. So but there's pollination, is how they is how we're procreating. And yeah. some plants can either pollinate themselves yeah. and create seeds yeah. to then become their own plants. Others do, you know, like they pollinate like other types of uh plants in the same species. Yeah. And then there's other ones that can kind of like cross-hibernate. I think yeah. there's a uh, hybrids of a green big bushy plant that i think a lot of people like you know now they're thinking about hybrids
1: yeah yeah you yeah, know yeah there's a lot for that
0: yeah, yeah. so okay i think that makes sense because yeast like spuds or something like it just yeah. like breaks off of each other yeah
1: plants kind of do that as well so you get bits of root breaking off like um and creating new plants or branches you know cutting you stick a branch in the ground that's kind of oh yeah that's a little thing. bit
0: spudding i'd
1: say that was pretty much that yeah so they can reproduce that way um They can, as you said, they can fertilize themselves. They can produce seed without any fertilization. Um, Is that, and how common is that? That's pretty common. I mean, I don't want to give you a What are like five
0: trees in the United States or like in the United Kingdom, honey? Like, did Uh, one of those
1: trees pollinate itself? So you're asking a a tropical nettle specialist about. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of them can. I'm, there's, there's kind of, so, so they're just plastic, you know, they try different things in different situations. so, for example, the ones that can fertilize themselves, they may actually put a lot of effort into not fertilizing themselves because they don't want, you know, because it's not, it doesn't make sense in the long term. Right. You know, you get the seeds in the short term, you're producing seeds, whereas maybe we're in a situation where you maybe you wouldn't have. But in the long term, you're not going to kind of increase your, your diversity. And diversity is really important. And sex is basically about maintaining um, diversity. Yeah.
0: So, okay, but actually, that was such a gorgeous segue to an expert on... Yes, okay, we're going to take a really quick break. Uh, we are producers are so good at getting us on breaks. We're going to be right back with more Dr. Monroe after this. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Dr. Alex Monroe. So you are a tropical plant specialist who specializes in nettles in the amazon
1: nettles in the world nettles
0: in the world world, but you really like the amazon i do really like amazon yeah so one of my other questions i was curious about Mm. is like what about plants that eat animals because isn't there some of those in the in the in the amazon isn't there that venus thing
1: venus flytrap i'm not sure it's in the amazon so that that the plants that eat animals um, tend to be in areas where the soils are really really poor And they want to get the nitrogen. Where the what? The soil. soil, So oh, the the, you know the ground. Yeah. So there's not a lot of nutrients, and so they tend to be plants which grow where they want to get protein or nitrogen from the protein. Oh,
0: and that's not because the Amazon. The Amazon's got got some white
1: sand forest, so it must have some. I'm guessing, but I don't know. It's not the most famous place for it. So Southeast Asia's got a lot in, in. Oh it the does. Some kinds of forest yeah, the, pit, the giant pitcher plants in Africa and Asia. Yeah, the pitcher and, and, plants yeah. and in North America as well. You've they got are seen yeah, you've got the And what's yeah. we're in and where in America so are They're in bogs. I, I don't in know if that in bogs in oh. flooded Oh, they them bogs, yeah.
0: And then basically that's like a plant where there's like a bunch of like poisonous stuff at the bottom and like the little
1: yeah, well, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's so much poisonous. It's basically really slippery, and the thing falls in, it can't get out. It's a really shiny, beautifully kind of waxy, shiny inner surface, and it tries to claw out, and in the end it gets exhausted and drowns. And then it, the, the liquid has got enzymes in it, which will dissolve it slowly. What's, like,
0: the biggest animal a plant can eat?
1: <laughs> a horse? No. no yeah, you know,
0: I'm making that up. Of course not. <laughs> Just, like, a little, like, do you think it could like, do, like, a mouth?
1: No, it could do... I'm guessing it could do, like, a very small lizard, or possibly. Okay, like, or so... a large fly, or a bee, maybe. What about that
0: one fly? Cause I hope this is, like, not, not in the Amazon, but I'm pretty sure it is, because I think I read about it in, like, mm-hmm. third grade. What about that, like, really stinky, gigantic flower? Rafflesia. What's that? That's, what's Rafflesia, their story? That's the
1: world's biggest flower. But that, 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 actually, that's interesting. So that's not eating... Insects. Well, I knew it
0: wasn't eating insects. So I just no, know it it's, stinks.
1: It stinks of rotten meat, and it has the color of rotten meat, and it's giant. And the flower can be maybe kind of two foot across, and it grows in Southeast Asia and tropical Dang forests. Dang it. Why does everything <laughs> I think is Amazonian in Southeast
0: Asia? Is that like a problem in middle of America? We think that like everything in the Amazon, everything is well, The Amazon is amazing. is amazing,
1: and the Amazon is the most incredible place, but um, just unfortunately not for those things. Who knew? Okay, so what are your favorite plants other than nettles, in the Amazon? Yeah, I think the epiphytes. So the plants which grow up in the branches, the bromeliads, and then there's um, lots of orchids, and they're stunning. There's orchids? Yeah, and there's a particular family, which isn't either of those, actually, called the aroids, which are the... Do you have the Swiss cheese plant? It, no. No, what call you um, Monstera. You probably have a, a, a cooler name for it, but it has a. it's a large leaf, which is kind of very deep indentations. Very glossy. It's grown a lot as an office plant. Anyway, I you know that that family has tons of amazing species growing as epiphytes in in the Amazon. What is um, we
0: just did an episode on uh, some of the deforestation that's going on in the Amazon. What has been um, some plants that are having a hard time with? Just surviving in the face of deforestation and in climate change, in I was like, "What are you kind of studying down there? Like, what's your, what's what's
1: happening?" So we do botanical inventories. So we're normally looking at what's there rather than uh, what's not there. Mm. Um,
0: That's and, kind of an optimistic way to see yeah, to approach I mean, it. Love that. The Amazon's
1: incredible. The Amazon is uh, is one of the least explored and collected places for plants in the world. So we still know very little. Oh, yeah, because you are, like, helping to
0: figure out, like, what the new things are.
1: Yeah, and what's there, you know, basically what's there. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. so that, so, um, well, we, we do our collecting, and then we um, bring the stuff back here. We compare it with what we've got in our reference collections. And in that way, we identify things which which we know are, are new, or at least not not known.
0: When's, like, the last time you, I, or you guys, like, identified, like, a new fun thing?
1: So, we just came back from Brazil, actually, in December Um, I think, well, there's a bit of argument amongst us as to whether it was new or not, but we discovered several things which we think are new growing on this kind of limestone blocks, um, which was a tree in the custard apple family. Do you have custard apple? I don't know. Oh, no. I'm, I'm I'm like
0: <laughs> I'm for sorry. sure not a plant expert on North America. No. I mean. Yeah, no. Or you any can get ever. It. You can get it in
1: or... supermarkets sometimes. It's like a big fruit about that big gray-green color with lots of segments on, on the outside. And it's a creamy white flesh inside. Really delicious.
0: No, I don't think it's I've ever even custard heard of that. Apple, yeah. Custard apple. That sounds like fun content. Yeah, it's something We're going to Google play. it.
1: So you, but so what was the argument? Because like some people are like, no, no, that's like. So they think that. So at first we thought it was new because it has really unusual flowers and it's just to me it looks different. And then they kind of think it's something which is already described, but just a really unusual form of it.
0: So what do and they I'm think it is? Really,
1: they think it's something a species which is known not well known, but known from a couple of collections um, about a few hundred miles away. And I think it maybe isn't. Neither of us are specialists in this family, so we kind of. You know, that's the one that's the thing about exploration is you're you're very often collecting things that you're not the expert on. So I'm an expert on nettles, but I don't spend all my time collecting nettles. I collect everything. And so when we do these expeditions, um, we're not necessarily the expert identifying, but we have the expert expertise here in our collections. And also for many plant groups, there are no experts. You know. Really? Yeah, Yeah. Tons. Yeah. So some of these, some you know, groups of trees, and there's no experts to identify them. Do you think that that?
0: Is, I mean, because when we think about in history, like plants have been so important to like doing. Isn't like, aren't there like, isn't penicillin from plant well, uh, or something? No, was found
1: growing on rotten melons. I'm not oh, sure fine. that counts.
0: Well, kind of because yeah, the, the melons, are...
1: yeah, you wouldn't have had. So it's like we wouldn't fungus. have known. It's a fungus.
0: Ah. Uh, isn't a fungus yeah. a plant or no? No, no that's really. another one it's of the
1: unrelated. Species. Totally it's un- unrelated. unrelated. We're, we're closer to fungi. Well, fungi closer to us than they are to to plants, to green plants. Gross. Yeah.
0: But sometimes they interact with each
1: other. Yeah. But we do as well. I mean we interact with plants totally. and, and fungi as well. Yeah.
0: Okay, but wait, back to nettles. Yeah. How many places do nettles live?
1: Everywhere. All the tropical areas and most of the temperate regions. So like, you know, everything from tropics to, to cool.
0: Are all nettles, like, kind of, like, that dark greenish color? Or is there, like, ever, like, different colored nettles?
1: Actually, that's not a bad question. They're all more or less that color. But some are little and some <clears throat> are big? Yeah, you get big trees with vicious stings to small, tiny little things with leaves a couple of millimeters long that are fairly harmless, or totally harmless.
0: Are some, like, po- like poison ivy-ish to the touch
1: or something? Mm, well, some have got really nasty stings, but they don't have a chemical that will... It's just if you run you into burn. it... But this thing is bad. There's one in, in, I think, New Zealand, which is said to be able to paralyze a horse. I have no idea if this is true, but I I gather if you get stung by it, your arm will be in pain for weeks. What does
0: get stung by a nettle mean?
1: Um, You brush into it and the nettles, the hairs of nettles are designed like hypodermic needles. So when you press them, you kind of, it's kind of like squeezing the needle and it just injects liquid into your it does you, yeah see we've completely yeah. buried the lead did you not know that no oh god yeah tell us more about f- That's nettles what so the latin name for uh, elect, the genus is urtica and the whole family is called Urticaceae. and urtica means to irritate oh ah, uh, and urt uh, and urt i don't know why but, but it sounds uh, like irk. you yes. know what does irk
0: mean like to irk someone oh really like you're being very Irksome,
1: irksome. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i've heard that a lot so the, the so these needles I mean these hairs if you look down the microscope they look just like needle like a, the end of a hypodermic and when you brush into it the, the mechanical force of you touching the leaf and its resistance injects the contents and they have this bulb at the base of the hair and it gets injected into you and then they contain various chemicals i think which uh, well they definitely contain various chemicals which will cause irritation the sting metal you get in the US and here and in Europe I mean it's not pleasant but it's not like kind of it's not that big a deal. It goes after a, a half an hour or so. But in Asia and in Australia and New Zealand, there are some which, are, you know, you, you'll be in pain for weeks from getting stung. Interesting. Yeah. They don't all have the hairs, but, but that property is kind of spread around the family.
0: How does nettle relate to, like what, like, what else is popping with nettle? Like, is it important, like, ingredient in anything? I have to say,
1: it, <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated by them but they don't really have anything that's kind of life-changing or, or world-changing. They're just mm-hmm. kind of just interesting in their own right, in their own little corner. And they're right. just hanging um, out. Yeah, exactly. And they do lots of cool things and um, and they're worth studying and they're worth conserving and, and protecting.
0: Are they having, Are nettles, like becoming like, kind of like, are they getting sad anywhere because of like climate change?
1: Yeah, a lot, there's a whole couple of groups which live in very deep shade and, and kind of, very wet and quite specific undisturbed environments and they suffer a lot from deforestation when you open up the canopy and it gets hot and dry oh. and from climate change to some extent as well as forests are drying out and because these things are just not used to living without moisture how does that
0: work like in deforestation if you like were you know like when deforestation mm-hmm. happens like so a rainforest has like a very dense like multi layers of
1: you know vegetation green... yeah
0: and so when when it comes in to get cleared because a lot of times it's getting cleared out for farmland, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's generally pretty bad for farmland. It, it, the whole deforestation in the amazon is 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 nuts, you know it's completely crazy because the amazing thing about the Amazon is it's an incredibly rich forest, you know, big tall trees, beautiful, lush, really diverse, it supports a lot of wildlife and it's and it's it's a big juggling act. It's growing on this way thin layer of soil and organic matter in, in many places. And and so it juggles the nutrients, as nutrient cycling is really fast and that's how things manage to grow. But when you look at this as an outsider with no kind of understanding of how how things are working, you think, well, wow, this must be really good land because it's got these massive trees on it. But what they do, they cut down the trees and then they burn the land, so and then all the soil is just gone, that small amount of soil, the, the whole kind of magical trick of recycling and keeping this dynamic, these nutrients moving. You've just destroyed it, and then you're just stuck with this really, really old, highly weathered soils. So, what's nutrient cycling? So, nutrient cycling is the way. So, so plants get their. You know, they, they can't go out and hunt and catch things apart from the things we spoke about. Most plants get their 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 sugar, their carbon, they get from carbon dioxide in the air, and they get some of their nitrogen that way as well. But they still need other nutrients, minerals. Um, And that's done through, uh, so they're harnessed from the soil and then the plant grows and the leaves die and fall off. And the nutrients in that dead material then decompose, get absorbed by bacteria or fungi and work their ways back into the soil to be reabsorbed. That's the whole like corn
0: getting planted one year and then soybeans the next because they like put each other. Yeah, they like so, balance each other, or whatever.
1: Yeah, and in Europe, like we have, we have the, the frosts, like the freezing in the winter, which then liberates lots of minerals in the soil and, and basically creates a pulse of nutrients. In the tropics, you don't have that. You know, you don't have a freezing, so all your nutrients have to be conserved. Oh, just like you all have to the keep time. cycling them. Yeah, you can't really afford to just chuck them, chuck them away. And so plants have the, the ecosystem and the kind of, not the individual species, but the whole system has, is, is cycling things in a very dynamic way so that those nutrients are kept basically in play as much as possible. In Europe, we don't have to do that because we have frost and our soils are much deeper and they're more nutrient-rich. But in the tropics, so when European farmers first came to the tropics, they saw these lush forests and they assumed that they were really rich soil, so they cut everything down, they'll grow maize on it. And then you grow a pathetic crop of maize and, and you're scratching your head thinking, you know, why, why is this, what went wrong? And it's because of the way that they, that they do it. And so deforestation is, in the Amazon is not really suited for agriculture. So, right. So, so, when, so the key thing is when you grow crops, you basically take those nutrients which end up in the seeds or the fruit, whatever you're eating, and you take them away. So they exit the system because they go into the food yeah and then they get exported or whatever so that's that's kind of totally different to what happens in the system prior where it's always being cycled and when you soon just taking nutrients out all the time obviously you kind of you deplete the system quite quite quickly so when we were talking about sugar and how plants get their sugar isn't there something about like chlorophyll and sugar yeah no not in sugar so chlorophyll is the is the What is it? It's a chemical, really, that absorbs the energy or helps absorb the energy, capture the energy in sunlight. And then it goes through a really complicated or complex kind of set of reactions that sugar is passed on and converted into... Into the sugars that the plants use. So, but chlorophyll
0: does have something to do with like, okay, because I don't know if you remember this movie with Adam Sandler and uh, Billy Madison, honey, and he's in the science class and he's like, chlorophyll, more like borophyll. And I feel like it gave chlorophyll this like bad name. So, like, what the fuck does chlorophyll do?
1: So, as I said, it's a chemical that is able to capture or help capture, because it's a really complex system, but the chlorophyll is the, uh, it's like a pigment that can absorb certain wavelengths, yeah. There's Does green, nettle have chlorophyll? Yeah, all, all green plants. All green plants. So we see chlorophyll as green because it's reflecting green light. So it's not absorbing the green color, but it's absorbing the the rest. I guess science
0: is so much, <laughs> much right? Again,
1: not my not really my domain, but that's but it's an amazing chemical, yeah, and it enables you to kind of harness the energy in, in in sunlight. So why when they do like if you're if you're clearing a waste, I wonder why
0: we're burning it first
1: because we do everything without thinking you know it's so arbitrary what we do and how we like farming farming in Europe evolved in Europe to deal with the conditions in Europe and it's sustainable in, in you know in many parts of Europe but it becomes a cultural thing and then you go somewhere else and it's part of your culture you know to raise cattle or grow sweet corn or maize and so you go to another part of the world and you sort of impose this totally ill-suited approach to doing things there and it doesn't work you know and because it doesn't work you have to get fertilizers and you have to keep clearing more and more forests oh yeah and rather than stop and think why isn't it working what could we do that works oh no there's none of that we just continue plugging away at trying to farm cattle on land that just isn't suited for it
0: one well, isn't that like it all it's like corporate it's like money it's like
1: yeah i guess it's money it's also a total lack of imagination and thought you know you just have to sit back and think about it i mean you'd probably make much more money not doing that i, I often see cattle farmers in, in 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 the amazon and they're doing it because it's a high status occupation but they're not making much money so when you're talking
0: about, like, the Amazon not really being well-suited for, like, uh, agriculture because of, like, the nutrients and, like, how it works, like, well, so how does, like, Europe have, like, deeper soil but, like, the Amazons is more, like, is that just because, like, you know, Europe is, like, colder and it has, like, the whole frost
1: thing? Yes, yeah, so the soils are replenished much more. They may be more fertile anyway because they're younger. The Amazonian soils are quite old, which means that they've had water flowing through them for a much longer period and they've been losing, you know, they lose some nutrients in that way. Not all of the Amazon. Some of the Amazon has good soil, but but the bulk of it doesn't, which is why when you clear a forest and you start growing a crop, you have it for like 18 months or something. And then you have to start thinking about what else to, to do with that site. So, uh,
0: again, no, this isn't your expertise. Can't help but just no, yeah, a moral yeah, sorry, question. No, no. Um, no. Well, this, I shouldn't No, this is even it, another but... question. <laughs> now, so... Um, like, you know, you're talking about the frost in Europe. Yeah. Like, is there like well, the, everywhere, you know, in the US? Yeah, we? yeah. Well, so. yes. Yeah, frost. Like, because isn't there like seeds like have to kind of like hibernate or like they just like kind of like. Yeah. And then like, the is, does the cold wake them up? Like, what's that whole deal?
1: So the, the seeds have different mechanisms for waking up and different triggers. Sometimes it's so it could be a frost if they want to be germinating as soon as the winter starts, or it could be that they wait for heat in the soil or day length. Or fire you know some seeds require fire to germinate they it may need to be digested or passed through the gut of an animal oh what yeah. do that yeah so um there's quite a few things that do that actually
0: like mushrooms that grow out of poop or something no it's fungus i yeah. uh, get it together yeah, Jonathan. <laughs>
1: yeah. no there's kind of things which need to be s- swallowed and passed out in the in the poop and then they'll germinate from there what about like the poppy wasn't that from like
0: like ho- like from like isn't there like something like it's like triggered from like banging on it or something
1: I don't know. I, I yeah, I mean possibly yeah, I that out, no big yeah,
0: deal. I I've not heard that, but that's like... Okay, so great. So germination, nettles, chlorophyll. It is not borophyll. Uh so this is the part in our recording where it's like, uh, maybe you're uh Amazonian expert and on nettles, and I didn't ask you anything about that. And so just kidding. But like, what do you want, like what do people need to know? It's like yogi says. it's towards the end of our recording, like. What do you think we should know about? I mean, I thought it was really interesting when you're talking about the lack of imagination on figuring out how to kind of deal with the sustainability. You know, so
1: I I think I'm a botanist, right? I'm not gonna I'm not here to give life tell anyone about economic development or the rest of it. But I think it's pretty clear there are a ton there are like thousands of potential food crops and fruit crops out there growing in the wild that we don't use for cultural reasons mainly. Um and we could just use everything in a lot, with a lot more imagination and it would be more sustainable, probably economically productive and easy. Having said that, that really isn't my domain. I think the message I would like to get across from my domain is that there are a lot of species, so there's 400,000 species of plant, just imagine that, that's a lot. Each one with its own unique evolutionary history, doing its own thing and having some kind of specialisation. Um, and there are probably about 10% of those remain undiscovered. Whole bits, you know, whole bits of the Amazon have never been explored botanically. So we don't know what's there. You know, it's like a big, big gaps on the map. And not just in the Amazon, other places as well. So there's still there's still a big scope for exploration, describing new species. You know, we we're kind of trying to keep up with <laughs> destruction. We're still we're still trying to describe everything that's there as it's sort of going. before it gets destroyed. Yeah, or as it's getting destroyed, or after it got destroyed as well in some cases. Okay, wait, I know we're almost. So
0: when's like the last time we discovered a new
1: nettle? Uh, last year we described a new one from, but every year we describe some. We do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause so when you find Just, one, when you're out exploring and then you bring it back, cause like, do yeah. you
0: guys have to like run little DNA tests on the nettle to make sure? We that do
1: sometimes. So if it looks really similar to something else and we're not quite sure, then we would. It's quite expensive to do the DNA tests and, um, we don't always have access for that. But when we do, if it's something we're not sure, yeah, we definitely do that.
0: Do you ever like uh, compare like the toxins and the like irritating chemicals? Like, does does like I the Australian do. ones have like different ones? And... I should
1: do. I kick myself sometimes. No, I'm sure someone must be doing it. No, I've never, I've never kind of got into that side of it. I've, I'm still trying to get on top of describing everything and, and identifying it all and knowing what it is and how it should be kind of arranged in the classification. Do
0: you ever get together with like other fun little botanists <laughs> who who specialize in nettles and like yeah. chat
1: with them like once a year or something? Uh, yeah, there's about three of us. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's only three nettle experts? Well, probably more. Say say there's six. Three of them are retired in their 70s. Um, one's in his 80s and two in the 70s. And there's myself and there's probably about maybe three more. <sighs> so we don't meet that often, but we kind of all know who we are. Y'all, if you're looking for some <laughs> job openings, no. it sounds yeah. like we need
0: some nettle experts up in here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Dr. Alex Monroe, thank you so much no, for your time. It it's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. I had so much fun uh, getting to meet you. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate yeah, it. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Venice. My guest this week was Dr. Alex Monroe. You'll find links to his work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Please. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curates We are officially verified on Twitter. Yes. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson. And actually, Emily Bosick also helped produce this episode. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Love you, kisses, mean it.